Welcome to the Andrew D'Angelo podcast. Constant Constance. Each week, Andrew, renowned jazz saxophonist and brain cancer survivor, invites us to look at the many worlds of his guests with conversations that cover all the arts, human resilience, a little bit of politics, and a lot of humour. You can't fail to have a fantastic time. Hey everybody, and welcome to today's show. Today we have, um, I guess, a friend of mine, although we haven't seen each other, I think, in probably 25 years, right? Or something like that. But uh, this is Dominique Eid, and she is, I have written down or found on the internet a pure tone, flawless jazz vocalist and composer and master educator. Welcome to the show today, Dominique. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Andrew. It's so great to see you. Really, really great to be here. You too. I remember the days in Boston. So this would have been in the early 90s. Yeah. Were you, you were at NEC, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, New England Conservatory. Yep. And I, apparently so was I. I mean, I wasn't officially enrolled, but I remember seeing you do this show. I think it I can't remember if it was Scholars or what's the other one, the Regatta Bar? Regatta Bar, yeah, maybe, I played maybe, that, those both. Right, and yeah. uh, it just, I felt like we, you and I were sort of on parallel paths in that we were, you know, young and wanting to do our own music. And as I said, you know, you've made some amazing music over the years. And then um, eventually at some point, and as I said, my uh, producer, Lucy Little, who is, threatening to join us at some point. We'll see what happens. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you, you kind of gravitated towards education. I mean, you're teaching at New Conservatory right now, right? I am, you know, but I actually started uh, pretty, pretty early. My teacher, Geraldine Martin, who is kind of the only non-classical voice teacher at NEC that was teaching the then third stream students and the jazz students she left her position kind of suddenly and ran hired me um, shortly after graduating. So this would be the early 80s already. So wow. okay. at that point, there really was not, there were one, maybe one, two people singing in the jazz department and some and a few students um, as vocal majors in the third stream department, which I had been a student in. But um so it wasn't that time consuming for me. I still had a, a private studio outside of NEC where I was teaching as well. But I just was able over the years to build the the vocal part of the jazz program and this and what now what is the CI contemporary improvisation department. I've just been able to build those up over over these years, um, which has been wonderful. So it was you know, it was kind of concurrent with my professional performing career. I recorded for RCA while I was teaching. You know, I moved to New York while I was teaching for NEC. And right. um, so I was able kind of to grow both my my performance career and, and the teaching career um, kind of alongside each other, which was really, really wonderful. That That's amazing to have. Uh, I know. I, I mean, I had Ted Reichman on the show. Oh, yeah. And just to remind yeah. everybody, Ted Reichman is also part of the contemporary improvisation department at New England Conservatory. And I had two of his students, do you know Kate Byrne or Adrian oh, yeah. Chabla? Sure. They were, right. They were both on. And but again, if you don't mind me ask just re-asking the question, yeah. what what attracted you to what what was your, you know, inspiration about being an educator? Or was it simply I don't think it was finances because according to <laughs> according to your former students I spoke to, and I'll just focus on Lucy at this point. Yeah. That you're just absolutely brilliant as uh, an educator, as a teacher. A master teacher is what everybody's been agreeing on. That is so, such a nice thing. Yeah, well, uh, humble. You're humble too, apparently. I so. just I didn't expect to teach, you know. I mm -hmm. I mean, I came to NEC. Um, I was I was at Vassar as an English major for two years. Oh wow! Figured out I was a musician thanks to to my um, English teacher. And uh, how does that work? Like, how did your English teacher help you understand that you were a musician? No, so it's a it's a great story actually. Yeah, I wrote a piece of music for. I was in my second year, 
And we loved this Miss Muguru. We loved her. We feared her. She was um, she taught early early English, Chaucer, and she was just fabulous. And and I had had her for a couple of different classes, including my freshman English class when I first arrived at Vassar. And I wrote a piece of music for <laughs> for. Um, uh, Midsummer Night's Dream about bottom, and it, and I called it Bottom's Dream, and it and it was in <laughs> cool. E flat, and it had you know E flat six chords, and kind of sounded like right. Thelonious Monk, and instrumental piece, not a vocal piece. And I was singing in a band there, also a band called Naima, which was super cool. Actually, with Joe McPhee. Do you know Joe McPhee? I mean, of course, I've yeah. crossed paths with Joe. So he's a little from bit, Poughkeepsie. But... Okay. And he was in our band. Like, you know, we laugh wow. about it now, like wow. Return to Forever. <laughs> right. Cool. <laughs> Which was awesome. So, you know, music was always super, super close to me. You know, I played guitar since I was 12 and wrote songs every day, you know, instead of writing a diary. But I just didn't think right. of it as a career. You know, I just didn't think of it. It was just so almost like so close to me. I didn't really step out and go, oh, I can pursue this path. And so when I so I wrote this piece of music for Miss McGrew, she said I I wrote a paper too. I wasn't trying to you know be a slacker too much, but <laughs> <Right>. um, <laughs> she she said, well, you know, I don't I don't read music, but let's go over to the music building. Would you play this for me? And so I did, and she said, oh. She said, you know, you're such a passionate person and you're a good writer, but I always wonder where this passion is. And she said, you're a musician. Hmm. And it was a heavy story. You know, I mean, I tell it now, yeah. but like, you know, somebody wants to. That, 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 that's a big moment in a, a young person's life. Huge. I mean, I remember, huge. I don't know what age you were at that time, but I remember yeah. my, I had a student, he, he was maybe 21 or 22. and you know, I, this is a private, like one-off yeah. lesson I was giving somebody from Europe. And he said, where do you see yourself in a year? Right. And I, I was like, a year when you're 21 is different a year when you're 51. Totally. And I'm I, other than Corona pandemic, you know, like right. whatever. Uh, I was like, I, you know, I'm not, not that I'm, I'm stagnant, but I, I'm just going to keep doing what I do, man. But for a young yeah. person at 21, you could get a gig at New England Conservatory. You could right. get a tour in Europe. You could get a record deal with Dave Holland. I mean, you've played with Dave Holland, yep. right? And yep. who knows what could happen at, yep. at those stages of our lives? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and, and, and and you're nurturing that now. That's that's what I like. Is I feel like you are the person that is nurturing these huge years in people's lives. Is that fair? I've had or? great teachers. I really had, you know, including Miss McCrew. I mean, people who you know, who were very real with me and, and heard me. And, you know, I'll tell you one of the things that's really interesting. I mean, that she took the time to, you know, walk over to the music building and hear me play this piece of music. Yeah. But, but I feel like also I've, I more and more, I have kids of my own. I have two sons. And when I sent, we sent our first son off to, to college, I realized like, wow, in music school, you get to meet with an adult who listens to you and takes you seriously for an hour every week. And I realized that's a huge thing that doesn't exist at a lot of schools. I mean, I had that, at, you know, Ms. McGrew had office hours and I wasn't afraid to go use those and, and, to, and to get, you know, good guidance from her. But there's something really special about a music school where you you are heard and you're listened to. You can't, you know, Kenya Seymour, who's this amazing uh, singer, piano player, sings with no name, is recorded with Chance the Rapper. She comes to NAC at age 17. Wow. <laughs> you know, so young. And like, I'm meeting with her every week. And I just realized like, I mean, I have to, I have a lot of work to do, but I also realized like we're already ahead of the game because if I have her best interest at heart, which is my job as an educator, she gets to meet with somebody every week who cares that much about this decisions you were just talking about. Where is she going going to go? What What's going to happen? I don't know. You know, I don't know whether she's going to get this record deal or that, but I can help her uh, orient herself and prepare herself for this road ahead. So I just consider it incredibly lucky 
Um, and, and I love to be a part of the whole school. I mean, I think my lessons are extremely valuable. I don't downplay that, but the whole, you know, Ted Reichman is there and, and Rand Blake and, you know, all kinds of people and all the classical faculty and all the amazing students that are there. I mean, it just creates this environment. I think that really is a deep resource for students for their whole lives. Yeah. And, and I guess it's one of those things where I, I'm, uh, since we haven't uh, interacted in, in many years, I'm getting the impression that you're incredibly humble. I'm still, I still want to know what are you doing that, and maybe you said it, and maybe this is my teaching moment, you know, maybe you're teaching me something here, right? What, what are you doing that's in creating, uh, creating such an impact on your students? And I, I have, uh, Oh, they're making this documentary about me, and and the filmmaker said I want to talk to some of your ex students, right? Yeah. And I'm like, uh, okay. I hope <laughs> that they don't say, you know. And one of my students, I said, I don't think you should be a musician. I think you should do uh, something else. And I'm uh, still friends with her ten ten years later, yeah. and she thanks me every day. Now she's she's a doctor. Wow. Uh, I don't remember a specialist, uh, maybe a general practitioner or something. Yeah. But. She, she jokingly says, yeah, you told me to stop playing clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes, sometimes our job as, as a, an educator, or t- you know, as a, as a guide is to, yeah. you know, maybe steer somebody over here. Right. Do you agree with that? Or am I out of my, I mean, I don't have a, a professorship, so I don't know. I know. think every situation is just so individual. I mean, it sounds like you went with your with all your I don't remember I don't remember saying it but she she uh uh I, I won't say her name but yeah. she she remembers vividly I, I in one of our lessons I was like yeah I don't think you should play music you should do something else yeah. and so she went to medical school wow <laughs> I mean I think you know somebody's determined I mean people told me not ever to scat sing did that stop me no you know right right <laughs> don't you ever melodies. yeah right right don't you ever <laughs> <laughs> don't play a void note. So I think if you're determined and there, you know, there, there is a bit of, there are teachers who are kind of tough love, you know, my, my compatriot, Mick Goodrick, my colleague who I played with, you know, for so, so many years, I think he was in that category a little bit, you know, um, it's not my style. I tend to be more invested gating, you know, like, let's just ask some questions about things. Um, because I feel like, I mean, I've also never really felt that like you shouldn't be a musician. So I don't know what I would do if, if that were the case. Right. I mean, I have had students who have thrived in academics and didn't realize they would. And I've helped kind of give them the confidence to embrace that about themselves. Um, that's so, definitely uh, happened. What, Dominique, when you say thrive in academics, do you mean that you saw that maybe they would be great at becoming a teacher or a professor? Is that what you mean? Or do you no, mean that actually, they... Actually, even scholars, like, like one hmm. of my students happened to come at the same year as somebody who was just, you know, you know, whatever star quality, you know, beamed right. from her. And the other student was super talented, really good singer, great musician, still is. But she started to flourish in um, music history, you know, hmm. sch- scholastic, academic, paper writing and so forth. And, um, you know, so so I, I didn't, I thought that was wonderful. You know, I went, her teachers were encouraging her and I encouraged her as well. Um, so I don't always know what people are going to do, but I think, and probably, you know, if they're at a music school, the determination to to try to make a go of it as a musician is pretty strong, you know? So, um, so I've never, and, you know, the other thing is there's, you can always build, you can always improve. And if you improve as a singer, but you don't end up becoming a singer, it doesn't mean that those things that you've learned aren't applicable or enriching to your life, the rest of your life. So, so, so in it, it, the, the example that people like to use, uh, first of all, are you familiar with Heather Cox Richardson? Of she's, course. Yeah. Right. And I, and she's a historian, right? Yeah. And, and she said at some point in her life, and I don't know what point that was. I don't remember. She, she's about my age. I think she's 
40 something, but yeah. she just kind of owned what a nerd she was. And she loved history. Nice. She's teaching history, political history. And she writes these long substack things. I think Amazing. she's just absolutely brilliant. And what a service she's doing. You know, yeah. And at this time, especially. Right. And, and, you, but, but, but I guess it's, it's like owning that in a way where, you know, sometimes when I watch her do a, a, a her podcast or whatever, you know, uh, Heather, I love you, by the way, but you know, she looks like she maybe just got out of the shower or whatever. She's not, you know, she's not all frilled, you know, dressed yeah. up and stuff like that. Together. Right. Well, yeah. And her way she is. Absolutely. But when you were talking about Mick Goodrick, a guitarist and his sort of more, I don't know what you would call that. Is it macho? Is that kind of a male way of approaching things or? I don't think it's exclusively. I mean, people call it tough love, you know, or mm -hmm. I don't know. There's other terms for it. Um, you know, some people will say it's sort of like the Zen master killing the cat or what, you know, <laughs> some kind of brutal, <laughs> brutal reckoning with reality. I don't know. I, I don't feel like well, I'm well, touch enough with reality to, <laughs> to well, kill any cats. Well, wait a minute. Uh, I, I love this kind of stuff. And I, my audience says too, what is the yeah. Zen master killing the cat? Do you, I mean, what's it's, a, that it's analogy? a famous story now I'm going to forget and somebody better um, I'm sure they'll correct us if you're wrong yeah. or I'm wrong. But, I so. mean, some Zen master supposedly, you know, killed a cat in front of one of the, of one of the, one of them, they're not even called disciples, monks to, to kind of prove, prove some kind of a point. Um, I don't know about attachment or I don't know. Being a cat murderer, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that went, woo. All right. <laughs> Um, uh, but but there are people that, you know, feel like I've just never needed to do that to reach people. That's right. maybe a lucky thing. You know, M you know, I've never had to threaten anybody. I mean, I, I think people could be. You know, it's all whatever frame you're in. Right. So if I raise an eyebrow, you know, that might be extreme enough for somebody, you know, instead of. Threatening. I think I think Mick just jokingly threatened to be cut people's fingers off. What really? Oh my god. All right. Well, I, I mean, I guess I want I want to be clear because I'm not sure yeah. if I'm coming across when I when I told this student of mine you shouldn't be a musician, it's not like she was mad. She no, said no, it, it, it took her into a place and she said I just did it in this way that was really direct. And I it, she says I wasn't mean or anything. It was just something that I noticed. I was like, I don't think yeah. you should do music. And, uh, you know, so, so I, I guess, you know, in, in this day and age, there's a lot of talk about like sexism and homophobia mm -hmm. and racism. Mm -hmm. And when I had Kate Byrne and Adrian Shabla, did they ever study with you? That, that no. part we couldn't figure out. Right. Not the, privately. Right. No. Ted Breichman did not think they did. Neither did no. my producer, Lucy. And, um, you know, Adrian as being non-binary was very delighted how open I was to let them speak their minds. And but it, it's it's what's just one of those delineations that well, in me when I studied with Mick Goodrick, when I mm -hmm. was interact with him, I would call mm -hmm. him macho. Now yeah, is that bad? Yeah. I don't know, but yeah. maybe I was a kid and maybe I just, that's just how I perceived it. Right. See now it's interesting. Cause I could see that, but I, but that would be in a way a more two dimensional way because yeah, I was a kid. I didn't know. Right. So, and, and I don't have the experience. So, so Mick to me was quite a mentor and, in every aspect of my both teaching and artistic uh, pursuits, he took my ideas seriously. He talked to me about his own experiences. Uh, he, you know, I formed a band with him and John Lockwood and Jamie Baum and Gary Chafee, and you know, they all wanted to rehearse it, you know, once a week and play the original material, you know, there was, one, I remember, <laughs> I remember one time where Jamie, cause we're co-leading, you know, the two, the two women co-leading the band, which was really interesting and doing most of the writing. And, and at that point, you know, we were the, the two 
less le- less experienced, lesser experienced musicians. And so at some point there was like an ending of a song and we just couldn't figure out, well, should it be this chord or that chord? And Mick just kind of said, like, just make it something. And that was really a great moment because I realized, like, to lead, you have to be at times you want to be democratic and get opinions, but sometimes you have to just be decisive. But that was very gentle. You know, Um, I mean, we rehearsed together. We played duo together. He's the first person, you know, we did some uh, duo gig in some restaurant in Faneuil Hall and Wow. I finished singing the melody. You're like throwing stuff around here, man, like Daniel Hall and Jamie (laughs) Baum. Jamie Baum. Old days. Yeah, who, 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 Ray, I actually did some shows with Jamie like not too long ago. Yeah, Yeah, uh, she's a flautist and composer, just so people know. And who else was in that band? Let's just bring people in. So it was Gary Chafee on drums. Okay. Um, I'm not familiar with Gary at all. So Gary's written some some, um, pretty important um, drum rudiment things that people know might know his name from and um john lockwood on bass who's the first bass player i met when i moved to boston and mick goodrick and jamie baum so but i was going to say in this restaurant gig where it was just the two of us i finished singing the melody and mick was going to solo and he turned to me and said comp whoa Whoa, exactly. I was like, whoa. So you're like, uh, what are we talking here? You're like 28 at that time or 19? Oh, no, no, no. Like, I'm 22, 23. Okay, like whatever yeah. in that area. But yeah. we know those those years are big. And he's like, comp. And you're like, what do you do? I mean, I'm singing guy tone lines and wow, you know, cool. humming background lines and a little bit of bass line, you know. But it was so, 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 so when you said macho, it's like he, to me, he was never that the kind of macho like sit there and look pretty, little lady, and don't try to you know be one of us. You know, <laughs> well, I didn't say it was negative. I just said it was yeah, macho. But, but that could be a that is that could be a macho response. So, so, so right. he was never that way with me. But I also think that guys interact differently, you know, and there can be other things that go on. So, and I also think you know, in terms of my my time that I was playing with Mick. That was, I think he, well, I mean, maybe, when did you study with him? Oh, by study, I mean very passively. Yeah. As I was uh, kind of going to New England Conservatory, but not really because I wasn't enrolled, but I was just kind of grabbing classes here and there. And I was in George Russell's big band oh, yeah. somehow. So early days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, I guess early 90s, I, I, I would go and take a lesson with, uh, Joe Maneri, the saxophone, you know, readist. I love Joe. Joe was amazing. Did you study uh, with Joe Allard? Uh, I did not. Oh. I did get to spend time with Ram Blake just mm-hmm. a little bit. Yep, I kind of remember that. And I know that you, you've you done a lot of work with uh, Ram. Yes, And I so by study, maybe that's not fair. And since this is kind of a permanent conversation, I should take that back. Just passively, yeah. you know, study with George Garzon. Okay, so I took three lessons, maybe 10. That's great, right? sure. That's and, and, and it is what it is. It's, I, I, you know, some of my students come and they spend a day with me and that's the, the one lesson they have with me in their life. And that's yeah. just how I, how I roll. But more than, more than even about me, I was just curious. And I feel like we're starting to get uh, a, a better picture of of your own brilliance as far as being a master ed- educator and teacher. And I'm sure somebody's going to be able to see you, you know, putting me in a place that I, I, I need to understand my position that I have approached some, some musician friends of mine who are fairly well known, if not famous. And they're like, I don't feel like coming on. I don't, I don't want to talk about music. I want to play music, mm. but I actually really enjoy this. Mm. I enjoy this as much as I enjoy a gig. Yeah. I enjoy conversations great conversations are amazing. Yeah. They have gone from anywhere from being just completely unacceptable to just really <laughs> light and funny. And, you know, after, after watching you, as I said, at um, what we decided was at the regatta bar yeah. in those days. And one thing that I wanted to ask you was I had, do you know, Reed Anderson, the bass player from the bad plus? Oh yeah. Yeah. 
So, so we were talking about something that, that drives us bonkers is when, I don't know, somebody plays a melody and then just leaves the music, right? So they go and they stand to the side and somebody takes a solo, somebody else takes a solo. Like the, it's like the music, the melody disappears and they're playing chord changes mm-hmm. or they're playing mm-hmm. the form. Nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. But I like this thought of Mick telling you comp, like stay in the music. I'm not sure if that's what he was thinking, but it's it's unusual for us because what right? We we oh, play definitely. our and I think I I also think um like a lot of guitar players. They don't really like soloing without somebody else doing something. And there was no bass player or anybody else on the gig. So he was like, well, that's this is your part of your job description now, which was great. It's amazing. But do you think it was specific to you, Dominique? Or do you think Mick was I mean, in other words, my gist of, of Mick with my brief, you know, passing by him in yeah. my life is that he understands a person. He doesn't try to lob his philosophy or his ideology on everybody. Like he yeah. might be able to see thir- certain things. Like yeah. when I told my student, I-, I don't think you should be a-, a musician. I don't think you're going to like it. That was specific to her. And it, and she Absolutely. says, I did it nicely, but yeah. I would never say that to like all my students. So yeah, you, you shouldn't be, a, you can be a musician. You shouldn't be a musician. And so uh, I also had uh, Alan Mednodarn. Do you know him, the drummer? I know who he is. Yeah. And one thing Alan loves about me is I refuse to let him just play a drum solo. I always comp for him, no matter yes. whether I'm playing the melody yeah. or just some guide tones, whatever, and, he, and or some rhythmical thing and kind of interacting with him. And I was like, is that bothering you? And he's like, no. He goes, I hate when everybody just drops out and then I got to play this drum (laughs) So Dominique, I wanted to read this quote, which I believe is a quote of yours. Okay. At this time of year from social media, I think all of the amazing New England, New England conservative students, uh, conservatory students, sorry, reading out loud. I feel like I'm in you know, junior high or something. Uh, <laughs> students who are graduating and imagine what will they what they will be up to in the years to come. Yeah. And then you have like Sarah Serpa was one of your students. Michael yeah. Mayo was one of your students. Yeah. And we're talking about like Grammy Award winning people. Yeah. Like what? Wh- First of all, I'm saying like a lot, which I'm sure as a teacher, I stop saying like, but what is it? How is it to be that person who's nurturing these Grammy? You know, I mean, these are amazing. I know a lot of your students are amazing, but these are the ones that I'm I'm familiar with. I don't know them personally. What is it like to be that, you know, that their mentor or what are you? I mean, what do you call yourself? (laughs) What what do you want to tell them? Because if they watch this, you know, then. I mean, I don't know, you know, I'll never know what I am exactly to them. And that's not exact. That's not even really the point. Um, But I, I mean, first of all, I definitely feel each student so individually. And Mm. I mean, people I'm sure could feel like, oh, well, she must like this student better than that student. I honestly don't feel that. Like, I feel like my gig when I'm with a student is to see who they are and help them get to where they might want to go, you know? And so um, I have, you know, I mean, Luciana Souza and Roberta Gambarini and Sophia Ray and, you know, Aoife O'Donovan and Sarah DeRose. I mean, it's like, you know, if I list, list them all off the top right. of my head, I'll forget somebody, Aubrey Johnson, who's doing such wonderful things in, in New York now. And, and, um, uh, so, so there's that, that that one student in the corner going, she didn't mention my I name. Know. I know. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a long list of people. Right. But, but, but I don't, I'm ex- equally excited for each one of them. And I don't know why that's true, but I re- that's an honest feeling. I wouldn't say it if I didn't really feel that. I'm just, I mean, Michael has a, you know, Michael Mayo has a record coming out tomorrow. Um on Mac Jazz, it's fabulous, but I'm as excited for, you know, my student doing research at Duke University as I am for him. Right. It's just how I feel. Like, so, and once, it's kind of like playing music, you know, 
Mm -hmm. right? Like you have all these people that you feel really close to and that you've communed with in some way. And I think when you teach people, there's a, there's a, I don't know, Steve Lacey said something kind of amazing. You know, he was on the NEC faculty shortly before he died for a couple of years. And it wasn't transmigration of souls, but it was something kind of deep that he talked about that he felt really lucky to have had at that point in his life. And it's a shared thing that that doesn't really, it's not about the student and it's not about the teacher. It's about the, 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 the thing that happens because of both of you. And, and, and uh, can you consider yourself a guide? Is that fair? I mean, sure, sometimes, yeah. I mean, I'm a teacher, a guide, a you know, shoulder to cry on, a person to share ideas with. Right. You know, all of those things. Um, uh, can I can I just tell you a yeah. quick quick story? Sorry for interrupting, but no, it no. just came to me. Uh, my friend, uh, our friend Chris Speed. Do you remember him? The tenor yes, saxophone and clarin yeah. clarinetist. We we had this amazing teacher when we were teenagers. We're talking like 14, 15, oh, right. 16. Yeah, in, on the West Coast, right? Correct, in Seattle. Seattle. And Chris yeah. would show up to his lesson and <laughs> our teacher would, would not come. He wouldn't let Chris in the house. If he was home, he would make Chris sit out on the porch and think for an hour. And, and Chris would always, you know, Tell me afterwards, you know, Mr. Davenport didn't let me in the house again. I had to sit on the porch for an hour until my mom picked me up. And but that's to me, that's brilliant because maybe Chris Speed needed some time alone just to sit on the porch and think about life. Right. Sure. Is that is that fair? Yeah. And for me, I mean, could could be could be I would you know, I wouldn't know because. I wasn't that teacher with that person. I'm just trying to make it uh, yeah. maybe a metaphor and analogy is yeah. it, that where, where, when, when you're, you know, conjuring or, or like I said, nurturing a garden, you can't really control how a, a tomato plant grows. Right. Or whatever mm -hmm. the analogy we want to use, right. Whatever your students doing, but are, are you, you Dominique, do you have this? Oh, wow. So-and-so is Grammy material or whatever it is, or so-and-so is going to be a great musical historian, or are you just kind of, I don't know, I'm not going to put words in your mouth. I'm very, very curious how that works. So I think, I mean, I'm never thinking about like, what's the student going to turn into because that you just can't know. You can't control that, right? No, no. So, I mean, what I think, you know, that I think NEC does really well is that it gives people enough exposure to different kinds of things. I mean, for instance, Sarah Serpa, um, she studied with me when she was still at Berkeley. And I wouldn't necessarily do this to any to every student. But, you know, she was kept coming over to NEC to take some lessons. And I said she was graduating from her undergrad program. And I said, I think you'd really do at NEC. I think you'd really, wow. really flourish here. Right. Um, wow. Because I could see that 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 could be a great path for her. And, and so, 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 so let yeah. me hold your thought there. When you say you could see, right, that she would really flourish there. What, what are we seeing here? Like this is this is the rub for me because I have these intuitive moments as well. Yeah, right? I mean, it is. It's intuitive. It's it's. I mean, I, it, I, it's not like I'm looking into the unknown. I know the environment of NEC very well. And so I know what things would be available to her. Mm -hmm. And I also know Berkeley well and what you might be exposed to there and what kind of skills you would build in that situation. So um, I just thought she had a very uh, broad artistic sensibility that I felt would be greatly nourished by being at NEC and and she was in my jazz vocal traditions class where I teach the whole history of jazz singing which is kind of a a, a mitzvah for me because I really feel like it's sorely neglected and you know people can get out of music school and go like I don't know who done you know a jazz drummer cannot know who Dinah Washington is right if they probably know Sarah Vaughn and Ella and Billie Holiday and you know maybe Nina Simone. Now people will know Nina Simone. That didn't used to be true. Anyway, she, she heard Rand Blake in that class for the first time. She heard the Rand Blake 
Jean Lee record. And I just remember, actually, she and, and her now husband, Andre, were in the class together. And I just remember the expression on her face when that information reached her ears. Um, and of course, she's done some wonderful work with Rand. So, so a lot of it is exposure and the environment, um, which I'm a part of. And I mean, I've also had some successful students that I teach privately who aren't at NEC. But I think the whole NEC environment gives people, exp exposes them to all different kinds of things of, of, of a kind of level of musicianship across the board and all these genres. Um, and there's a rigor there that helps people keep going out into their artistic field and recreating themselves. So now I've been at it for a long time. I'm going to turn 63 in a couple of weeks. <gasps> really? Uh, wow. You look amazing. Since, wow. You know, Can you hear me? Okay. Can you hear me? Okay. I've seen people go, thank you. <laughs> um, I've seen people go through all kinds of reinventions of what they of what they do, rather than getting out of music school and saying, I have this skill set and this is what I do. Right. Um, you know, people people keep reinventing reinventing themselves and have a long trajectory. I, I, I can tell and you if yeah. I can tell you, sorry. No, Dominique, no, no. that I am so proud that a student I had 10 years ago and I apparently said, don't be a musician. And now they're a full blown doctor. I'm actually proud of that. Of course. I think that's yeah. a cool thing. And she thanks me profusely. She goes, I wouldn't be who I am today if it weren't, you know, for you saying that. And I was like, really? I'm sorry. And she goes, don't be sorry. And I was like, well, you know, maybe you weren't the greatest clarinet player. I don't know. That's, that's the thing it. is that I think you start, you know, for me, what happens is that I get more experience and then I understand the weight of what I say and what it carries. You know, I don't know that I understood that as a younger teacher. Oh, interesting. Um, right. The impact the that you might have. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but the other thing is that I'm continually a student myself and I'm a student of voice and a vocal technique. Um, I've worked with some of the premier um, cutting edge vocal tech technicians uh, in search of understanding the instrument better. So I've, you know, I've continually studied myself and I continually, you know, study um, improvisation and harmony. And, you know, so that's always ongoing for me. So in a way, I kind of feel like I'm just running along with my students, you know, like, yeah, isn't this cool? And like, there's so much to discover. And that's why I don't think I'm going to go like, well, that person is Grammy material and this person will certainly like it's not a finishing school. It's like we're never finished. We never master anything. We discover, discover, discover. And it's so inspiring on and on and on. Yes. Right? Agreed. And and uh, wait, hold on. You're fucking 63. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> what the hell? You look, I mean, you look amazing, Dominique. And I, I as a staunchly, you know, gay man. I mean, even I'm one of the things I remember about watching watching you do shows back in Boston in the '90s was just your utter, just beauty and your your physical presence on stage and everything. I hope that's not uncomfortable for you. No, no. And and I I am I can't believe I mean I can't I I actually it's it, amazing that that you you've you've been around for 63 years. It's it's. My friend's nephew. I've uh -huh. done a lot. Yeah. And and teaching a long time. And yeah. teaching a lot a bit because I started teaching so young. I've been teaching many decades now. I mean, into into my fourth decade at NEC. Wow. So, so close. Yeah. I, I my friend, his nephew died and they just had mm -hmm. the funeral on oh. Saturday. Yeah, it's sad. He was 21. Not, Not my friend, but his nephew. His nephew, yeah. And it Sometimes life just doesn't feel fair that way. It's very strange I to know. me. And my friend was pretty upset. And we talked yesterday and he was crying. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, anyway, I don't know what the weather was like in Boston, but it's been pretty rainy and cold here. Mm. But, uh, you know, it's just so strange how that works. And then here you are at 62, 63, whatever, looking glorious. You have a flourishing, you know, you know, 
academic career with all your students. And I haven't heard you sing in, in a while other than what I saw on the internet, which was amazing. But uh, that, that must, does it, I don't know how to put it. Like you said, you're going into your fourth decade. You're, you have kids and we don't have to talk about your children, but how does it feel? Do you feel different than you were when you're 25 or could you go back to your 25 year old self and give, give some advice mm. or, or if you remember me at 25, <laughs> like what would you say to Andrew at 25? I, I, you don't have to answer that question. It's just something I wrote down. Cause like, I wonder if Dominique is this genius teacher, which it's very obvious you are yeah. like, what would you say to yourself? 24, 25. I don't really care the age 21, 26. What would you say? Is that, am I lobbying a tough question at not you? A, no, not at all. I mean, I think I was, I was very lucky when I came to Boston. I mean, like I said, I didn't, I came first to go, I took a leave of absence from Vassar and I went to, to Berkeley I actually did a summer session there and I thought, oh, well, this is cool. I'm like getting my you know, reading and writing skills a little more together. And, right. and I, and I was, took a leave of absence. And I, at the end of my second semester at Berkeley, I heard Rand Blake play. And that was again, like a moment of truth m moment. It was just like, that's it. You know, it's like, that's the logical next step in Next the step. language of you know music that I'm interested in and and so it was great to work with him I was also in addition to working with Mick Goodrick I worked with Alan Dawson whose picture I just found from our recording session, oh actually nice hey Alan I what's know. up man another person wow so so I mean so so he was a mentor. He, you know, when I like what I would say to my whatever 20 something self, I mean, I knew I knew his music, you know, from recordings with Jackie Byard and Russ on Roland Kirk. And, but, it, to, you know, there was a certain kind of uh, chutzpah, really bravado where I felt like, of course, Alan Dawson wants to play with me. <laughs> but I mean, it's equally <laughs> as possible that he would really just go like, nah, nah. I'll pass <laughs> you know, or so, whatever. Right. Like, yeah. Yeah. Or or just kind of, you know, dial it in. But he was so right. supportive and so, you know, there he was playing my original compositions. And, you know, so I just feel like I was so lucky to play with those people. And it, and it continued. I mean, I worked with, you know, amazing people. I mean, I studied with Dave Holland and with Stanley, the late Stanley Cowell and recorded with Stanley Cowell. Um, and I, I know I cherished those moments i hope i cherish them enough and maybe that's one thing that i would look back to in you, you might you might you might knock on yourself at 25 or 23 or whatever and say hey remember to enjoy this because it's a really cool moment yeah. is that what you're saying is that fair or is it yeah like this it doesn't I mean, you know, I mean, when you play music with people and you take that leap of faith and you and you jump over the boundaries of age and of race and of gender and all these things and you just are there with people that you can't take that away. And I know I felt that. And, you know, that's when I think about the, those great players that are gone that I had the chance to play with. I, I know I I know I cherished it, but but you can be in a hurry, you know, to get someplace. And, and I think two things, I think I would be, I would be less in a hurry and I would be, um, I possibly want to, you know, and maybe this is part of what I do as a teacher or try to do for people, but I would want to nurture every artistic aspect of what I was interested in doing. Hmm. I can see all your students are like, what is she going to say to her 25 year old self? What is she going to say to her 25 year old self? But I, I know that for me, yeah. I mean, the first time I toured Europe, I was 18. I got lucky. Gosh. I had a great moment. Who were you touring with? Oh, it was this all-star big band from the U S blah, 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 nice. called the uh, jazz abroad. Yeah. But the fuck, if I enjoyed it, all I could think about was, 
how can I get back to Europe and go on tour mm-hmm. again and make right. money? Like right. that's, that's where I, my head was at. I'm not putting that on anybody else, but I was like, this is amazing. This is fun. They paid for our flights and we had nice hotels. I'm a kid, you know, we're doing these amazing gigs. There's thousands of people there. And I was like, okay, how do I do this again? That's all I yeah. could think about was like, I right. want to do that again. Wait, like, dude, enjoy the moment. Right. Yeah, exactly. Is that fair? We're, is that we're fair? Patient and, and right. also, you know, because we, I mean, I, you know, when I came to Boston, I just was like, I have no, no idea what I'm doing, but if I really screw up in this city, I'll just go to some other city and try, try again. Right. Like I had a kind of determination, which I don't know where exactly that came from. Probably um, from your dad, maybe like, wasn't he in the military or something? He, right? he was, but I mean, you know, it was as to pursue something artistic was maybe more from my mother's side, from I'd say. Your mom, who I believe is Swiss, right? If she, I she was Swiss and she was a right. great amateur pianist, but she didn't have that kind of determination. I mean, she, interesting. She had a okay. different path. She married, you know, she married an American military man and had five kids, and you know, right. Took right out. You know, they met during World World War Two, and um, so so maybe it's a combination. You're right. Like maybe it's the artistic part for my mom, and I'm just know, talking about the discipline. Yeah, like there, the there's discipline a, and de- determination. That I think you're right. He there's was, yeah. a certain amount. I, I don't. I didn't know your parents. I'm sorry if I if I if I no, touch on something that's sensitive, yeah. but I know that you know my mom was a very disciplined person. So I would yeah. just practice. You know, she said, you're going to practice from 5 p.m. till 7 p.m. You're not watching the TV, right? I mean, it, it wasn't like she didn't really give a fuck what I practiced, right? But she goes, you're going to be in your room playing music for two hours or whatever it was, one hour, yeah. two hours, what did whatever. She, do? Uh, she, what literally, do? she literally did that. She goes, you go in your room, you lock the door. No, but I mean, did she have a career also? Or? Oh, no, my mom didn't do jack shit. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so she made you do it all. <laughs> My mom was lucky enough to be a stay-at-home mom. And uh, and I always give her grief, you know, when she yeah. says, you need to get a real job and stop being a musician. I said, what job did you ever have? She goes, well, I raised you kids. So I was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, she's 80 now, right? <laughs> but uh, I, I, I literally was talking to her the other day and giving uh. her grief because – she had a job when she was in college. So that would have been 1951, 52, something like this. Yeah. We're unsure. We do the math, but it's in the early 50s. And that's the last job my mom had. Wow. I think it's, it's impressive. I'm like, that is mom, impressive. you're like 80. You haven't had a job since the early 50s. <laughs> I want to I want to be that person. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. So what did she do for me? She would literally say, go in your room lock the door you can't watch the tv and you make music whether you listen Did you to it pick your instrument oh yeah yeah i've talked about this on the show but i'll, I'll do it quickly for you and anybody yeah. any of your students or whoever are listening my parents literally in old days newspaper you know print and said you know here's an ad for this place called canela keys and they said you have to play music because it's good for you, good right? For this brain. is like, like the seventies, right? Like it's yeah. good for you. Yeah. So I was like, uh, I like, I like that one. And I picked out the alto saxophone. They're like, all right. So we went down, we rented a saxophone and it was just literally cause I thought it looked cool. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I mean, you know, I my like husband who plays alto. He wanted to play the bass and I think his dad said like, it's too big or something. So. What your husband is Alan Chase. People should know that. Alan right? Chase. Yeah. Uh, an amazing so, he, so he's been playing alto since right since four you know since fourth grade but i think he would have chosen the bass <laughs> it, it's so weird uh, because i had charlotte grev on do you know her the german uh alto saxophonist oh yeah 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 she's great charlotte grev and uh today greenfield and i think i asked mary halverson but i'm not sure and maybe one or two other people it's just annoying because every interview i do is like why did you start on the saxophone so i feel like it's all over but at the same time charlotte grev also said yeah i just i just thought the thing looked cool 
and I wanted to play it. You know, she's a yeah. kid. She, she's like yeah. just about 30 now or whatever. But, you know, she's in Germany. She lives in a small town. They're like, do you want to play an instrument? She's like, yeah, I like that one. That one looks cool. Right. And that was the same for me. It's not as profound as people want to believe. Right. That. Right. Like we but woke up from hand, like who, who knows what if why, why <laughs> that is speaking to you, like what the affinity is, you know. You know, looking cool. I mean, it might not look cool to somebody else. Why would it look cool to you? You know? Well, I mean, right. Right. And my mom, even though she has pretty serious dementia at this point. So mm. she said she came down the day after they rented me the saxophone and she said I was sleeping with it in my bed like I was holding mm. it. <laughs> and she's like, uh oh, what did we do? Right. But uh she swears to this day, even with her dementia, she goes, I remember coming down, we got you that saxophone and you would sleep with it like it was your girlfriend or something. I mean, whatever, you know, I was eight or 10. Aww. It's cute, right? Aww. Adorable. Um, we're going to finish up today with a couple things. First of all, Alan Chase is your husband, who's also a saxophonist. How is Alan doing? How's your husband? He's doing great. He um, has been the chair of the ear training department at Berkeley for uh, quite a few years, and he's just about to step down. Actually, he was going to go back just to faculty for this year, but he decided to wait because it was such a tumultuous year. Um, And like all of us, I mean, actually, Berkeley was was in the fall all on online and um, mostly online in the spring and definitely the administration positions administrative positions were all online. So he's been working at home from home. I've been doing hybrid uh, teaching going into NEC since the fall to teach whatever students want to be on campus getting tested every week. And um, that all, not well, Knockwood has, has worked out pretty <laughs> <Right>. well. <laughs> pretty well. So we get, we got through. Uh, sorry, uh, you dropped out a little bit, but look, a quick vamp on that. I've yeah. had two people on the show, this uh, young trumpet player from Norway named Seaman Halverson, and then this uh, drummer from Germany, Joe, Joe Smith. And, you know, it, it, what is it? We're in June of 2021, and they still don't have the vaccine. I mean, so it's just very strange, you know, that, that the world, like uh, being in New York and probably in Boston, you know, wow. I would assume like i've been vaccinated for months right and yep. over there yeah they're like you know and i just got a message from a friend of mine in spain and like i, I finally can get vaccinated next month and i'm like wow this is crazy um but uh yeah she's what a, been vaccinated a while what's that i was saying my sister is in italy but she's been vaccinated while i'm surprised about norway i i i I would have thought that it would have been dialed in. It's Norway. It's uh, forgive me, totally. my my Norwegian friends. Yeah. But uh, I was telling Seaman, I was like, I thought you people were all uptight. I figured you'd be like in line, you know, like next, yeah. next, next. But no, it hasn't happened like that. So That's anyway, strange. it's very wow. strange. We had a strange year. I'm here with Dominique. It's June of 2021. Dominique, one thing I... I enjoy talking to my guests about is you know either you know sexism or racism or homophobia depending on the proclivities Mm -hmm. and you had Mm -hmm. mentioned during our break that you had some words that you wanted to share um regarding sexism and either in education or in the music business in general or whatever it is that you want to talk i think it's important that we talk about this stuff myself Uh, oh i do too i do too and all of those topics you know, are super important. Um, I, you know, one of the things that I've always thought, like, this is just like a tiny sidebar to the, to the homophobia in jazz, but like, I've always thought that it's interesting. People don't do it so much anymore, thank goodness, but to kind of, I don't know if you ever experienced this, but to kind of break the tension for cisgendered men, they pretend that they're gay. Is this the thing? You ever seen this? Uh, yeah, of course. Like the intimacy goes down and then they start talking with lips, but it's just like, this is, well, you know, or it's a way of, 
it, it can even be if, if if a woman's present, then it's kind of a way of diffusing sexual tension in that way. It's just it's bizarre. So so jazz has a lot of really weird weird artifacts. I think in that way and jazz education. Let's uh hey let's uh. Dominique, yeah. you're kind of blipping in and out. Can you? Can, can. I mean, if, no, no. You're you're kind of bleeping in and out there with the internet connection. Can you just say yeah, what you, you are said again? Too. Yeah, I don't know what that is. I it, I don't think it's so on my end. I was going to say that. Well, I'm here. I'm having you. You're you're freezing a little bit too. So maybe the internet is just weird or. I don't know. But I was going to say that that I think I was thinking that we were going to talk about this and somewhere in my, you know, in some magazine box somewhere, I have the Time magazine with the cover when the ERA failed from the 70s, mm. Equal Rights Amendment. And it's uh, and the graphic is I haven't thought about this or looked at it in years, but I woke up thinking about it. It's a it's a female silhouette walking down some stairs with her head hung down and, and I, you know, it still hasn't passed. So I know that we're not, you know, we're, we're in a sexist society anyway, still. Um, but somehow in jazz education and maybe in education in general, but certainly in, in jazz education, it seems to have persisted in ways that I wouldn't have expected. Hmm. Um, How which, so? Well, <sighs> I think businesses had to try to stamp it out for for legal protection, but somehow it could kind of creep into the crevices of, you know, of academia going somewhat unnoticed because it was less uh, in the in the turbulence and the rapids of kind of the day to day workaday world like the business world is. I'm not saying there isn't sexism in the workaday world of business as well. Of course there is, but you know companies don't want to get slapped with a lawsuit, so they're going to have you know sensitivity training and so forth and so on. And I feel like jazz education. I think you know I was just hearing people say things and seeing behavior that I knew would not fly you know, in, in the business world. And here it was, you know, in, 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 in an institution, in institutions that I respected and coming from people who were, you know, purporting to play a music that I think is like a, you know. Hey, hey Dominique, can I just interrupt there? Yeah. When, when you said behaviors that would not fly in the business world, right? That's what you said if I yeah. remember correctly. Yeah. Like, what does that mean? Like, what's a behavior? Like slapping somebody on the butt? Or, I mean, what are we talking about here? Oh, yeah. Or comment, you know, making some kind of sexual comment, a teacher to a student. I mean, when I when I went from Vassar, which was, you know, had gone co-ed, and strangely enough, the women were called co-ed at that point, which was stupid. Um, <laughs> but it was, but it was that still... Is it is stupid. Yeah. Really stupid. But yeah. it still was still largely female student body, women's student body. And um, when I went to Berkeley, it was, you know, I was often one of the only female, one of the only women in my classes. Um, and it was just like this, you know, complete shock. But, but yeah, teachers would say things that were inappropriate. I mean, I went, I, I adjudicated um, the Wichita Jazz Festival and I adjudicated big bands. I mean, when was this? Like sometime in the mid eighties, the winning band, which at that time was from North Texas, uh, took the band out to a strip club as their reward. Are you serious? Oh my God. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> literally, literally when they're on the bus. And, like, and by, drop right. By strip club, you mean, female stripping not yes, a male because exactly. as a gay man i have been to male strip go. clubs you're right so you're it's not exactly like right no. we, i just want to clarify that all right so they're they think it's a good idea to take these students to a female yeah. strip club <laughs> oh my god i'm only i'm only laughing because it, it's redonkulous it's crazy it's it's and on the bus like they're discussing and they're dropping me off do i want to go no thank you to the and there's you know like literally somebody's turning to me and saying why don't you think there's more women in jazz education? I was just like, 
<laughs> you know, so, so th- I think, you know, it yeah. just, it, or just, you know, people saying things or people making, you know, comments. And so, so, you know, and actually, I mean, at Berkeley, somebody went undercover. I think this has happened twice, but like maybe in the eighties, a female student went undercover and just started reporting to the globe, like what was going on. I, re- I actually school. remember that. I remember yeah. that. I believe that you're heavy. right. That might be a cool thing for me to research and make a part of this interview. I can put a link to maybe an article or something. Be interesting to know what became of her. Right. Um, so, so anyway, she, so things have just kind of hung on. Sometimes it hangs on around singers because singers are often women, although obviously not exclusively. Um, so, so I, I found like one of the things that's been really important for me. And I I wrote an article actually for downbeat about this was just like around this thing of singing and what the expectation of singers is. And, you know, some people will say, oh, you know, like we were saying, singers sing, but this is an education. Like it's one thing if you want to be on stage and sing a song and walk away, that's your prerogative. It's what you want to do. But like, you can't be a teacher and say, well, just come to our ensemble and sing your song and then leave. Right. But there, that could happen. So I found it very effective. And I, and I did this article for Downbeat to, to, to write from a strategic point of view, like how can we educate everybody better? Um, and uh, so, so the article just discusses um, strategies of integrating singing creatively into ensembles. And I would think that that wouldn't have to be done. Like I would think, you know, in this day and age with people like Sarah Serpa and, and Michael Mayo and so forth, that this would just be kind of be a no brainer, but education sometimes lags, you know, education, w- which really should be at the forefront of, of ideas and the, and the avant-garde and the cutting edge can often be more conservative. Um, or, 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 or like you said, lags and is a bit behind yeah. a, a, education. But then at one point you were also talking about that this this music that that we create, you and I and many other people yeah. is supposedly, if not rebellious or radical, at least it's supposed to be forward thinking. At exactly. least. It, exactly. And so it's so strange. Like, can I, how come I can't bring my boyfriend to a show? and make out with him at the show during the set exactly. break without exactly. getting some shit. Although I have to admit people have been pretty, you know, open, but yeah. I was yeah. nervous. Like yeah. I, you know, I'm like, can I hold my boyfriend's hand in this club? Right. Can I kiss him? Can we, you know, be affectionate in front of these people at this jazz gig? It's just weird. Cause this music is based on let's fix the shit. Right. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's, 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 yeah, it's it's a problem. It's really a problem. But I mean, I think it's great, you know, that that you take those steps and and you know break those barriers however you can. Um, and I think that's a really really important part of of education. You know, speaking now in Pride Month, you know, super 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 important. And NEC is kind of getting with the program. I think. I know? think so too. Yeah, which is and, really and- great to see. And, and let's note that I've cussed about a thousand times and Dominique has never cussed once during this conversation. <laughs> Not because I don't. <laughs> <laughs> She's <laughs> my, uh, you keep, you keep calling me professors, you know, and masterful teachers. So, well, th- by the way, that's a indirect message that I'm giving you that when I was researching for this interview, that, I said your 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 former mostly your former students. I don't actually know anybody who's studying with you right now. We're just saying, yeah, she's a master. She's amazing. Um, I, I have more, you know, adjectives I can I can put out there, but that's that's not me. I don't know if you're a master teacher. Right. How would I know? I don't know either. Right. Proof, proof is in the pudding, and the pudding's never done. Right. So, Dominique, in conclusion, is there anything you you want to put out there? You know, I mean, like say something to people coming up, making music or whatever. I'm just so glad you're doing it. We need you. We need your voices, all of them. And um, you know, it can be it can feel tough at times. Keep your inspirations near you. Your your keep you know if you're a, if you're a woman put some pictures of women working and 
getting the job done and, you know, people expect you to, I say, spring, spring scantily clad and fully formed from the head of Zeus. You never do. You just keep working. And, and that's the, that's the best thing you can do. Beautiful. And let's just re reiterate the fact that Dominique and I did not schedule our outfits, but somehow we, <laughs> we absolutely nailed it. Thank you, Dominique. Such and a pleasure, Andrew. It's such a pleasure and have a beautiful evening. Thank and you. I'll talk to you hopefully again soon. Who knows? I would love it. Be okay. well, everybody. Take care. Okay. Goodbye, such a everybody. Pleasure. Thank you. Good Bye. night. Thank you for listening to this episode of Constant Constance. Tune in every week for new conversations. And if you want even more, check out Andrew's Patreon for more exclusive content and additional conversations. Hosted and produced by Andrew D'Angelo. Edited and mixed by Lucy Little. Original music by Andrew D'Angelo and Maximilian Moore D'Angelo. Intro is Henrietta Weeks. Thanks so much. See you next time. You fucking yeah, you fucking rocked it. Like she doesn't she doesn't know she says podcast, right? (laughs) Like she doesn't even